thank you so much for joining us once again on Growing Up on Death Row at 17. Back here with my co-host, Brian Seddens. Good afternoon, good morning, good all of that. <laughs> oh, man, how you doing, David? How you doing, my man? Everything doing good, going fine man. with you? Yes, sir. How about yourself? Oh, I've been doing good, man. Working hard, man. Working 10, 12 hours a day, man. Just working hard, man. Working hard, it. and sounds like you've been counseling a few people. Yeah, I have, David. And on that topic, man, I wanted to call you and tell you about it, but I know you'd be busy like me. But at the same time, I work at all Dollar Generals now. I do security for each one of them. And sometimes I go to five, six different stores a day. But there's just one store over here on off, off Parker Road, 367, that I usually attend all the time. And not because of the work, it's because of the conditions over there. You know what I'm saying? And I know a lot of the kids' parents that I ain't seen since we was kids. But at the same time, I met a lot of girls over there, man. And the sad part about it, I was getting all work my second week I was there. And I was driving across the street to the gas station. And I saw 15 little girls. They was all laying up against the wall with backpacks. And I was talking to them. And I was like, y'all hungry. I went to get out some white castles and shit like this. And they were telling me how they was abandoned, how they was basically put out of their foster parents' home because of the sexual advances that were made by the fathers and the mothers and of uh, this nature. And, uh, and he was all black kids too, you know what I'm saying? That was another reason why I was so upset about it. And I learned a lot, man, talking to them and uh, actually just sitting down and counseling with them. But they become family to me after two or three weeks. They become like like great kids or little sisters and brothers to me, man. And I know it's a burden a lot of people don't want to have, but man, I take it on my shoulders because of the fact that I wouldn't want to be in that position. And I know a lot of kids get abandoned, but I didn't know mothers and fathers abandoned their daughters like this. This is something I ain't never seen before. It's, it's bad, David. It's bad. So the first time you saw them, did you just roll past them, didn't think much of it? Or tell me how it transpired that made you stop and start talking to them and engaging them? Well, the first night I was there, I rolled past, like you said, I thought it was just a congregation of little kids. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Had parents, probably was a little bit, probably a distant off, making sure that they was okay. But the second and third night, I kept seeing the same play. So it took me like four or five days before I actually stopped. And I was, it was at, matter of fact, it was on a Friday. I was on my way back to the house and I stopped at the gas station and let my car get washed. And I see them and they over there talking. And while they talking, I pull up, man, I heard one little girl, she was like 11 years old. And was saying, damn, I can't wait till I get my food stamp card. And that kind of shocked me. And I was like, a food stamp card? You know what I'm saying? She was like, yeah. I said, you ain't number eight, year, no, 11 years old. So what are you talking about food stamp card for, little girl? You know what I'm saying? What you got your life planned out for you. This is where you want to live your life through the government agency. Just accepting free food stamps without just you going out, participating in activities to get your job. As you get older, you can build your career. And all of them had the same thing. They all said the same thing. And uh, it was so heartbreaking. That's what made me stop and talk to him when I heard the little girl say she wished she had a food stamp card. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I start right, and I started asking them questions. Then I come to find out they all had something in common. They was all foster kids that left their home, and I guess they they created a bond. It was almost like a pack when you see wild dogs just roaming the neighborhood in packs. You've been abandoned. You know what I'm saying? They out to fight to survive. These girls actually out to fight to survive. And, uh, and it was one thing that stood out, David. All, all of them had on the same tennis shoes. They was all mismatched. One had like a white Nike and a black Nike. But all of them had the same thing that I saw. I'm like, what is y'all? They were like, we all bonded. That's the way we bond. That's how we know each other. You know what I'm saying? And things this nature. 
And I thought about it, which is a, a bright idea for a person who don't pay attention. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And, uh, and it was so hurtful, David, man. I sat in council with him, but I see him every day, man. And uh, it's sad, man. There ain't nothing I can do about it. So I can just hope and pray, man, that actually something good could turn out of this. Having yourself been institutionalized, it's almost like they're institutionalized on the outside. They're free, but... You understand where I'm going with it? It's almost like they, they yeah. have these barriers that they're trying to break down and get past and get through. What kind of ambition do they have? Do they want well, to do I, anything they, in life? Or? No, they don't have any. They don't have any. They don't have any. They were, and you're right. It's absolutely like I would. That's why I can sympathize with them. It's almost right. like they institutionalized. You hear me? Mm. Because they have restrictions on how far they're going to let their mind go. They have restrictions on how far they'll deal with anybody. They got, like you said, they got barriers put up. And uh, yeah, 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 you're absolutely correct. We all had that same connect. You know what I'm saying? I think that's why I bothered with them a lot because I was in prison. I had my restrictions as well. Right. And uh, once I got talking to them and understanding their perspective, I couldn't do nothing but agree with them. You know what I'm saying? Because for these kids, the oldest one was 14, Dave. So for these kids, the to have the mentality that they have as 9, 10, 11, and 12. One little girl, she was like, I think she's like 12. She just left her foster parent that day because she asked for some food or whatnot. And, prior, and the foster parent told her, look, I can't keep feeding you every time you're hungry. You need to start puckering up. Basically, I didn't know what that means. And to the other little girl, like, man, she basically telling her to go. Sex basically, or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, right, right. Go have, right. So these type of term terms. Terminology people using towards people, man, and kids like this, it's almost like our generation basically just gave up on future generation. And what people don't understand, in order for us to survive 20 and 25 more years, man, we got to educate this generation, man, because they bring forth the things that we're going to need in the future. Some of them kids can find medicine. Some of them kids can, they mind changes as conditions change. Right. And these can be our future doctors, future Future lawyers, future senators, these are people that have been given up on but never been given a chance. And there ain't, like I say, until you see it and you actually be with them and talk to them, there is nothing wrong with them physically. Mentally, they just been destroyed and they only been taught to reach a certain level mentally. And they have to break those chains, but it's going to take a while, man, because they are already talking about food stamp cards and everything else that they waiting on. So that's why I was kind of upset about it. Where do they go during the day? Obviously, they're together at night, but what do they do all day? They sit inside McDonald's. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, they sit inside McDonald's until 9 o'clock. And around about 9 o'clock at night, McDonald's will put them out. They'll put and them. they'll go over there in their little spot, right? But I don't know if they engage in the other activities areas because there's a lot of little areas over there that probably let them sit in there and stand in there because I'm – to be obvious, the community got to be used to them doing this type of stuff. You know what I'm saying? So right. I don't know, man. I just do what I can for them. But it was hurtful, man, because I was coming home. And I wanted to tell you this. I was coming home about a couple of weeks ago. One of my friends that got out of prison with me, his name was T. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And uh, he got he he actually didn't know where I lived, but he was growing up the street. And he pulled over and he was talking to me through the window. And he was like, man, I didn't know you was out suddenly, blah, blah, blah. That's what they called me in prison. You hear me? So he got out the car and police car shoot right in behind him, run his name and all types of stuff, and locked him up for one, DWI and shit like that. He got locked up right in front of my house. And he had his two daughters, daughters or granddaughter. One was like 17, the other one was 16. 
And when I was talking to him, he was like, I was like, where y'all live at, man? He was like, man, they live out of some, I think they said Lukeville, Missouri. It was some weird shit. So he was like, I was like, what you going to do with them? So the police was talking to them, trying to get a phone number, but they couldn't reach nobody. So I told him, man, I let him stay in my basement overnight. And the next day he had called me and shit. And he was like, man, I won't get out for another week. I was like, oh man, I can't have him over here, man, because the situation was too stressful for me. Because right. these little kids actually had an ounce of weed that they were smoking, kept sitting off on the fire alarm, the fire detective. And I went down, started check on them. They knocked off two pints of vodka. They didn't have any purse. So I had to get rid of them. I went on and gave them my last, well, I had $50, Dave. My neighbor gave me 30, loaned me 30. And I gave it to them, got them some train tickets, dropped them off down North Hanley to, so they can go to their brother's father's house. Well, they had to leave here because right. of those activities, man. And, and, and it, it was sad, man. Like I say, I called my sister and tell her about the situation, trying to get her to take them there, but she didn't want to take them there. You know what I'm saying? And then turn around and call my my uh, cousin, which I rent the house from, and she told him, man, he harvested runaways at the house. I said, I ain't never harvested no motherfucker. I was saying, these dude, these kids were my partner kids, man, so I'm not going to leave them out in those streets. Me and this dude's in prison together. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I let him stay one night, but I called my sister for help, and she bring him over catfish. She feed him and all this, and then go right behind my back and tell my brothers, my cousins, some bullshit, like I'm hard your motherfuckers and shit like that, and got me and him off into it. You know what I'm saying? And and he didn't understand nothing until he saw the police paper where the police wrote me the statement saying that I can let him stay for 12 hours, and then the next day send them on about their business. That's what I done. Right. So, mm, Yeah. That's crazy. That 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 whole now he's out now or this just recently happened. He get out Friday. He get out Friday. Okay, but the little girls they're safe. Yeah, they got, they, well, they got to wherever they, they needed go. to go. Yeah, yeah. I checked on them a couple of days ago. They uh, they made it to their destination. They sent me a text anyway, let me know they made it to their destination. But the thing of it is, it's it's it's, it's almost like everything you do positive, somebody try to deem wrong. You, you don't have no type of people with more respect, no type of support. It's almost like a dog-eat-dog dog world, man. These grown folks that was talking about these kids like this. Man, I don't give a fuck how young they is. The motherfucker can't come to my house. Well, why would y'all have so many barrels and restrictions? And like I told my sister, she was like, well, you don't even know them. They can do this and do this. I said, man, I slept with death row inmates. I, was, I, I slept in cell with dudes to kill their whole family, kill their mamas, kill kids. I slept, I slept among the, some of the worst motherfuckers in the world. You think I'm gonna let two little girls? I don't give a fuck how they do or how they live like, man. They, they, I'm not gonna let nobody harm me. You know what I'm saying? I can sense that type of shit. You know what I'm saying? And I, yeah, man. So it turned out to be a good thing, but it also turned out to be a bad thing because my sister ended up crossing me in the long run. I go back to what you said earlier in terms of it's almost like we've given up on kids, the youth uh, of these communities. It's like we, we've we turned our back on them and it's just let them fend for themselves. They're not adults. And you've often commented on when you're a certain age, your brain hasn't formed, you can't make good decisions. But we're putting these right. kids out here to make grown folk decisions for themselves. They're not capable of doing it. No, they're not. And, uh, they're not. They're not. They're not capable of doing it. And the thing of it is, and the thing of it is, they it wasn't the fact and, and and the thing of it is there's no support, not even no community support. 
back in the late late 80s, early 80s and shit, when a, a child come up missing, the whole community went looking for their child. Everybody, it was almost like a fucking horror story. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now, when a child come up missing, don't nobody even ask questions. And, and, and I saw, and I, and the response that I got from my community where I live in, they supported everything, man. They were, it was beautiful. You know what I'm saying? But then you go back to the other side, like with your family and all that, man. You blah blah blah. I said, man, let me tell you something. Y'all don't even know me. I haven't even been around y'all. I left y'all when I was like 16 years old. I'm 50 years old, so you don't know. You don't know the mores I hold. You don't know the standards I hold. You don't know. They don't know nothing about me morally and spiritually. You know what I'm saying? And the thing right. of it is, I'm not gonna change my character for nobody, man. I like helping people. I like assisting kids, giving them the opportunity to understand that there is a lot of things in life that you can achieve without opening your legs or without prostituting or without stealing things of this nature. And I'm going to tell you something else, man, that I learned, man, I heard, man. What I learned is family dynamics that I've been paying attention to. There really ain't none. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like when I was growing up and you was growing up, David, probably with the same thing. Yo, When I was living with my grandfather and grandmother, my grandfather was the head of that household. You know what I'm saying? When we sat down at the table first, everybody else sat down. You know what I'm saying? It was structured. Everybody looking, it wasn't no big eye. Look, you, they actually gave you structure on how to, a family dynamic and how to keep a, fi- a family dynamic together. You know what I'm saying? You get out here, you can help everybody in this world, man. And, and you always going to have somebody that actually talk down or try to look for something to find on you or to say about you to, to tarnish your image. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And try to take away a shine from you. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you something. Me as a man, I went through a whole lot of shit in prison. I'm talking about 31 years of it. Come out here, a car accident, lost my legs for a while, things of this nature. And I'm truly blessed, man, to even be able to get up and walk and keep doing what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to continue my right path, man. No matter who the fuck got something negative to say about it or whatever they might feel, but as long as I'm rewriting my life story, David, I'm rewriting my story. And what I mean by it is that <clears throat> the last story people heard about me when I was 16 or 17 or drive by shooting. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now I can go, I've been out speaking to everybody, man. You know about our speeches that we do, Dave, and, and other organizations and stuff. And basically I, I rewrote my whole life. I changed the image of how people look at me. You know what I'm saying? And people can't never say anything. I never had nobody pull up on me and say, oh, I remember you when you got locked up now, they remember me for giving a speech. They remember me for helping kids. Those are the type of things that you want to leave with a person. And that's what I've been trying to do, David. And that's what I'm accomplishing, man. I'm rewriting my whole life story, man. And it's already taken off. And I want to leave something to where I know I left some type of information towards a child or anything to let them know. Just because I went to prison, that don't mean my mind's still there. 